Hey, welcome to We Can't Week 2, and I'm so excited that you guys are here. I want to welcome everybody that's watching online, and I want to remind you that this is, again, Week 2 of We Can't, and if you're a visitor today, we are so glad you're here. This series is kind of like a family meeting, and it's this kind of like when uh, my dad would have family meetings at our house growing up. If the friend was over, it'd be like, hey, if you want to stay, you can. But you, you, you don't have to stay, but we want you here because we, our family, we want you to be around. And a friend would come over. We want you to be a part of our church. You have no idea. Everything we're doing with We Can't is about someone who uh, needs a family, needs a place to be, uh, and an experience for the whole family. So you're here right now. We love you. You're going to see today that we exist for you, but we are going to talk about some stuff that we don't normally talk about on a Sunday morning. So... I'm excited that you're here and hang with us through this series because um, we exist for you and we are excited to be here. Last week, I went over some basics with you guys about our church, how much it's going to cost, where we think it's going to be, um, and it was exciting. And, and, and more importantly, I talked about this heart of faith. And so you, if you missed last week, you got to go back and watch that online. And a couple things I hit was, uh, number one, I talked about how important it is to attend services. We exist to meet you guys wherever you are. That's why we have an online experience. People are watching online. You can go back throughout any time uh, during the week, and you can watch the sermon. Uh, we have a whole record that you can download on iTunes. We have small groups that you can get involved in, and we want to be a part of your life. We know that the current of culture and your schedules is flowing and moving, and that it is tough to be at church all the time, and we want to come alongside you with that and say, here, you can still connect with us through online and, and through a small group, and that's what it's all about. But if this is your home, we really want you to be in attendance during this season on Sunday mornings so that you can be a part of this growth and this experience. Also, we gave out last week a journal, a journal. This is it right here. It's the We Can't Journal. We gave it to every single person. And in this, there are notes for the sermon. There are sermons. There's details about the building. There are devotionals throughout the week. And we want everyone to have one of those. So if you did not get one of those, go ahead and raise your hand. And these, um, these wonderful sync team people are going to hand that to you right now. If you got one last week and you forgot it, please don't take another one. We really only have enough for everyone to have one. But bring it back next week. Maybe just take some notes on your phone. We also have pens. You can just bug these, uh, these awesome sync people in the, in the rows here if you need a pen or you didn't get a journal. But we want you to go on this journey with us today. The notes you can take are on uh, page 35 if you want to open that up and be a part of that. Also, we've created um, an exclusive website, 514church.com slash we can't. This has everything in the journal and more. It's going to have some stories on there. It's going to have some of the details um, uh, further and beyond what is explained in the journal. And uh, it's a place so that for the next two years during this uh, we can't journey that we're all going to go on, that you can interact with and have everything you need. There's frequently asked questions. There's the timeline. There's so much on there. Go and check it out. Um, it is just for you. And then there's one more thing I want to hit today that we're going to be explaining throughout the next couple of weeks, and that is something called the One Fund. And I'm going to put 
uh, just a 30,000 foot view of it in front of you right now. And again, this is the part, if you're a visitor, we talk about numbers and you go, okay, here we go. They're talking about numbers again. I promise if you stay for the whole day, you will see so much more than numbers. But we have to uh, all be on the same page in terms of what 514 Church uh, is today and what we are headed towards through this initiative and through this campaign. A one fund is called a one fund because it means that we do not have a building fund separate from our regular operations. We're putting it all in together. And for those of you that understand, you know, kind of the way a, 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 um, a budget might be structured is we're saying that our operations is part of our expenses every single week. And then we've just added this really expensive line item, if you will, called a building. That's a ministry tool, essentially, that we need in order to grow and reach more people and find a new home. Uh, and so a one fund means that no matter where you are, if you just start giving, you give to 514 Church, and you're giving to the building and to the operation. If you're new, and we have new families, every single week they're going to come and they're going to say, I want to give and be a part of this. But that means if they come in a year from now, they can start giving to our church, and they're giving to the one fund, which is everything we are, one vision, one mission, and a building is part of that. You're going to understand that more and more as we go because what really matters is how it pertains to you and how you commit to 514 Church. But last week, I just want to kind of show you the numbers at a 30,000-foot uh, 30, view so we're all on the same page. I told you guys last week that the building on Hamilton Road and the land is $11 million. That's the cost of the building. Everybody say the building is $11 million. The That's how much, 50,000 square feet over there on eight acres off of Hamilton Road and 161, 80,000 cars drive by. We believe that that's where we need to be. That is $11 million, and that's with toilet paper in there and paper towels and totally done turnkey. That's, that's everything. It's one of the reasons that number is a little bigger. You might go, whoa, that's big. It's because we have thought through the total turnkey experience. We're not going to say, hey, guys, if we just get to this, then we'll move in and, you know, we need to come back to you and say, hey, we need three more million dollars or two more million dollars. The cost right now is $11 million. That's the cost with every detail thought through. And so our operation at our church is a million dollars a year. Here's where the one fund comes in. So the building's $11 million, but we still have to operate. So for the next two years, before we get into this building, we have to continue to function and grow. So for two years, our operation is $2 million. That means that together, a building that's $11 million and operating for two years until we get in a building that costs $11 million, that total is $13 million. Now in your book, there's a description of how much the we can't goal is. And it says this, nine. You take 13 and you minus nine and you get four. Four million left over. But I want everyone to focus on this nine million. The reason that we have said nine million dollars is because nine million dollars is, if you will, nine times our annual budget. Nine million dollars. We're a million dollars a year. For a church at our scale to go from a million dollars a year to nine million dollars committed in two years' time, 4.5 million dollars in those two years, is a huge, big step for us in terms of generosity and giving. And what it does for us is it's the bare minimum we need to build a 50,000 square foot structure. At the end of that, we could 
borrow $4 million and have a $4 million mortgage. That is the most that I am willing to even consider borrowing if we were going to finance part of the building. But I don't want to even do that. I just know that we can get in here and we could finance this right now. We could do it. But I think with our growth and every other piece that's going to happen in the next two years and the generosity of this church, I think we'll cut that in half. I think we may not even have any debt. Can I tell you this, something I'm very proud about at our church? Our church has zero debt. Zero debt. Guys that are a lot smarter than me have said the key to financial freedom is getting out of debt. We have none. So what I've tried to do is say, okay, this is a huge goal, $9 million. This is the most we could borrow and essentially pay for brick-and-mortar lights overhead, just a place to be. $4 million over 30 years at 5% is like $40,000 a month. Right now, we pay about $10,000 a month for this building and our other building. We could add $30,000 more to that if we wanted to. Who wants to do that? No, I don't want to do that. It's the bare minimum. If we reach this goal, that's incredible. And I believe that the growth of our church will help take care of the rest. We could also phase part of this where we move into 75% of it done. There's so many things that can happen with this $4 million, And I believe that God is going to take care of it because I don't want to have any debt. But this is kind of the goal, the step, the way we've led you. So in your book, it says $9 million. That's the bare minimum. This breaks down our two years of operation really at um, you know, $800,000 a year. Right, and then 200,000 we give over two years to our partners. So we're gonna continue to do that based on a million dollars a year. And then seven million, the first chunk for the building. Seven plus four is what? 11, how much is the building? The building is $11 million. Whether we move into one and we have a mortgage or we move into one and it is paid off, it's all dependent upon how we all grow and respond in this moment. So that is our goal. And all of those numbers, some of you are going, okay, please move on. Please move on. Can we move on? Can we get past it? Can we get back? Can we just move on to the next part? Let's talk about we can't. Because all those numbers, they're numbers, but there's something so much more important than numbers, and there's the reason, the why behind those numbers. For everyone that's watching online, if you're looking in from on the other side of the world, that's a lot of money. We live in one of the most affluent communities, or at least New Albany Church and now 514 Church is in one of the most affluent communities in the world. For us to do a building that's 50,000 square feet is going to cost a lot of money. It's going to reach a lot of people through that. And that's why. That's why we're going to do it. I believe with all of my heart that there is nothing more important that we could spend our money on. I couldn't stand up here in front of you and lead you down this road if I didn't believe that with all my heart. And it's not because the building's gonna be cool and it's gonna smell new and it's gonna have cool technology and there's gonna be spaces for all different kinds of things and more room. It's not just because of that. It's because of the bodies, the people that are gonna be in there. You see, for 2,000 years, God has used buildings and places to reach people. And you might go over to Italy or you might go uh, to a different part of the world and see an old church and on Sunday morning at 11.15, no one's in there. Why? Not because there's something wrong with the building, but because there's something wrong with the people that aren't in that building that aren't using that as a tool. And over time, the building got more important than the people. That's a problem. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with the building. It means that there's not the right kind of people using that building. Because we need to meet. We need to be together. We need to be a place 
for one person to come in here and have their life changed. It's been happening since the beginning and it's supposed to keep happening. There's a story that I read about a month or so ago about a, a man named Paco Mias. And Paco Mias was someone who lived in the town of Thebes 2,000 years ago. And the Roman army came into his town, and he was a young man when they got there. And what they would do is they would find young men, and they would basically put them in slavery and say, you are going to be in, in our army. And while they were in slavery, so that they wouldn't run away, they would put the boys in prison. And so they put them in this prison, this caravan, they'd take them to prison, and then eventually, after a certain amount of time, they would take them to training camp, but they were still in shackles and in prison, and after they got done and assimilated, they would be in the army. When Pagomias was in prison, there was a famine in the land, a huge, horrible famine, and lots of people were dying outside of the prison walls, let alone all the people that he was living with in his prison cell. But he somehow had an exterior wall, and there was a way for people who were outside of the prison to connect with him at night. Like you just see people reaching through and hands, with the hands touching. And in the middle of the night, for a long time during a famine, a bunch of people would come and bring him food. And he would eat. And he would be uh, healthy enough to stay alive and then go and be in the army. People around him were dying, people in, outside of prison were dying, but every night he had a group of people that would come and feed him. What happened is, is after he got into the Roman army and he became an infantryman, man, he went back to where he was in prison and he started asking around about who were the people that were feeding him in the middle of the night during a famine. And he did some research and he found out that the group of people that would come to his prison cell were called the Galileans, or the people of the way or the Christ followers, and he was blown away. The Galileans, that's just a, a little town in the center of Israel and a little, a little a lake way on the other side of you know, the Mediterranean Sea. What in the world uh, were they doing over here? And so he sniffed out where the Gal Galileans lived and, and, and kind of were, and he went and met with them, and when he sat down with them, the Galileans told him all about Jesus Christ. And they, they said, look, Jesus Christ really lived. He was alive. He did amazing things. He saved people's lives literally, like people that were, were dying, some people that were already dead. He raised them back to life. He healed people who had leprosy. He fed people um, with hardly any bread. He multiplied it. 5,000 people got fed. He was amazing. He walked on water. He helped people who were blind see. He told us, you just get the picture, Pacamius is coming back. Now he's like this Roman infantryman, and he's going, why did you guys feed me? And they're going, because this guy, Jesus, he was amazing. And he told us that he is God, and then he did all these miracles. Then he got um, arrested by the Romans. You're a Ro He got arrested by you guys, and he was crucified by the Romans, and then he rose from the dead. And a bunch of us started to follow him. He said he was God. He proved he was God with miracles. Then he proved himself to be God with the resurrection from the dead. And now all of us, because of how much he loved us, we're trying to tell everyone else about that love. You can just imagine in that moment that they're sitting with Pacamias and they're like, Jesus was different. 
Jesus was a different ruler than what you're used to. This, this thing that you just went through, this, this infantry training to be a Roman uh, uh, military person, you, 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 you don't know anything like what Jesus is like by seeing that. Jesus came in, and in the midst of a very tense religious situation and a military situation with the Romans, he would go to people's house who were called the sinners, the ones that didn't behave the way that the religious rulers said that they should, the ones that were kind of outcasts, the tax gatherers, the people that everybody hated, and Jesus would go and sit with them. And he would communicate through his presence and through the things that he said that he loved those people. That he loved those people for who they are, not for what they do. And that he, he actually said that he came for these sinners. For the people that, that you would never think a king would come to spend time with. He actually came for those people. He didn't just come and spend time with them and shake hands and kiss babies. He actually lived with these sinners, these fishermen. And Pacomias heard this. And he became a follower of Christ. And he was, with his influence, one of the people that forged the following of Jesus in the first century, first and second century, so that by 300 years after Jesus, the entire Roman modern world main following of faith became Christianity. And the reason was, is that this type of love of meeting people in the dark, loving people in the darkness, caring about those that are sinful, was so wonderful for the people of Rome and the people of the modern world because the Roman government wouldn't feed them, the Roman government wouldn't love them for their brokenness, but the Galileans would. And so the people, even when uh, the emperor was trying to get rid of Christianity, the people said, no way, because without them, we won't eat. Without them, we won't be loved. Without them, we won't be accepted. Without them, we won't have purpose. Without them, we won't have the life that we're supposed to live. And so ultimately, the leader said, man, the people really want these Galileans around because they're so fresh, they're so loving, they bring so much good to the table that we want that. And then in the 300s, following Christ became institutionalized. All because of that. You guys, the church, the people of Christ, we exist to do in his life, in, in, in someone else's life, what happened in his life. To meet people in the darkness, to love them for who they are, to feed them, to teach them the word of God, to pray for them, to, to walk through life with them, to celebrate with them, to suffer with them, so that they will have two things happen. They will meet Jesus Christ, and they will end up in eternity forever in heaven. That's the number one. That their eternal destination changes. That they literally go from a, a, a trajectory where they're, they're separated from God for eternity to a trajectory that says, uh, it's tough now, hold on for dear life, and one day you'll be in heaven because Jesus has forgiven you of your sins. Eternal change, life change. And we also exist to say, you know what, between now and when you get to eternity, God has a better way for you to live life. You see, the, the metaphor is crystal. Pachamias is in prison. 
I believe with all my heart that a life separate from Christ that you're kind of born into and you just live, you're in prison and it's all you know. You just don't know what it's like to be out and have freedom. But you're actually in prison. And then when you meet Christ, you get set free. And it doesn't mean that there's no difficulty or problems or pain. It just means now you're free from the prison that you were born into where you're separated from Christ. Because in that prison, if you don't know Jesus, you're in darkness. Then you meet Christ, you get sprung out of prison, and now you have freedom. The freedom that God has died to give you. Here, go love people. Think about other people. Put them, put them up. Love people and watch them love you. And go and be an agent of light and change in the world. And when people meet someone that knows Jesus and then that person gets sprung out of prison, their daily life should change. It takes time, but it should change. The word of God has everything for life and godliness. That means practical steps for doing life better than you would have or could have. It means that when you know Christ, you not only have eternal change, you have everyday change, and then everyday change means your relationships get better, it means your work ethic gets better, it means your attitude gets better, it means God says, here's what you should do financially, that gets better, here's what you should do with your family, that gets better, here's what you should do with your gifts and talents, that gets better. God's plan for your life is better than our plan for our lives. Life change, a new way. In this uh, uh, journal, you're gonna see I talk about, in the journal, I talk about a detour. That so many of us, we're just, you ever been on a trip, you're on a detour, and you're like, this is horrible, man, I wanna be on the freeway. And when you are on that detour and it's slowed down and you're not getting to Disneyland like you should and it's frustrating and it's annoying, that's the way all of us live our lives until we meet Christ. And then we get on the freeway and we go, oh, this is the way it's supposed to be. Every one of us is in prison. Every one of us is on a detour until we meet Jesus. And then he brings life, eternal life and everyday life and it changes everything. I want that for everybody. I want that for everybody. Life change. The hallmark of 514 Church is this, life change. It is this phrase, we love you for who you are, not what you do. Not because we are forced to love you, but because we were loved that way by God for who we were. In our brokenness, in prison, on the detour, suffering in sin, eternally separated from God, and every day stumbling. And God came in like a flood and said, I love you right where you are. You are everything to me. You mean everything to me. I will die for you. I will pay the price for you. I love you. You are perfect. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I know every hair on your head. You were knit together in your mother's womb. You are created in the image of God, and I love you for who you are, even if you don't love me. And that type of love changes people. Woo! That is 514 Church. In a very practical sense, not in an ethereal sense, not in a um, uh, just words, the sermon, not just Joel can say it that way. In this way, if I meet you and you don't believe in Jesus, I love you. I don't care. I, I want you to know Jesus, but I just want you to know how much I love you and how much God loves you. Me, me, that's the way I live my life. And as a result, our church has become a place 
for life change. Our church has become a place that says, no matter what you believe, no matter where you come from, we love you. A lot of churches say, behave first, believe second, then you'll belong. And our church has said and will say, you belong. You belong here, right where you are. That's not a slogan. We're not gonna put that on the wall. You belong here because it's the fabric of our faith. We love you, right here, right now. If you stay around, our love for you, your beliefs will change. And when your beliefs change, your life will change. That is 514 Church. Because Jesus did that for us, we do that for others. And I'm proud today to, to share a story with you of life change that is the epitome of what Christ has done in my life and in so many people's lives. And it's the story of Len, and she got baptized this morning, and what you're gonna see is her story and then a recording from this morning of her getting baptized. This is Len Saavedra. Before I came to 514, I thought that religion, Christianity, any religion though, um, didn't make any sense. The Bible didn't make sense. God didn't make sense. I kind of had a belief that it was a good way for people to monitor the way that they acted so that they could feel better about themselves and that, you know, it, it kept them from doing bad things. You know, oh, if I do this, then I won't go to heaven. Or, you know, I, I always, I kind of saw it as a way for people just to kind of keep each other in line. And that was my biggest thing. I, I would always say, I don't need God to be a good person. I'm a, I'm a good person. I don't, you know, I don't need somebody to tell me to be good because I like being a good person if I can be. So, you know, before coming to 514, I just, I had all these kind of misconceptions about what it meant to be a Christian. And so that's kind of how I thought of things. And I didn't think that was a bad thing, um, but that certainly wasn't the way that I wanted to be. When I left the Catholic Church, I sort of decided that if I ever was going to believe in something, it was going to be for a good reason. It wasn't going to be because, oh, I just don't understand the world or, you know, because I can't be a good person any other way. And 514 gave me a lot of good reasons. Uh, I started coming to 514 Church because I had started dating my now fiance, Alex, and uh, he invited me to come with his family kind of early on to our dating. And he knew my position, and so when he asked me to come to church, I was like, yay, church. Um, but man, I went the first time and it was, I loved it. I was almost upset afterwards because I didn't want to like it. I was like, I don't believe. Why do I like this church? It doesn't make sense. But I did, I loved it, and I never stopped going after that. I've been at 514 now for two and a half years, and I've been serving for over a year. I started serving at 514 before I believed in God. I fell in love with the kids, and I fell in love with the people, and this whole church just carried me and, you know, took me in. And, you know, I didn't make it really known that I was an atheist, but I didn't feel the need to. I didn't feel like it mattered one way or another. Um, I always felt like I 
belonged. I always felt like it was a place that I could be myself and I was around people who accepted me and loved me no matter what. And I had never felt that before, believer or non-believer. I had never felt that in a community where I just, I wanted to be with these people and, and learn from them. That was new. It all just seemed to click for me one day during service in the end of July. Um, I don't know, I just, I just realized that I had all the, I had everything there. I had all the ingredients and I was just too scared at that point. I was just, I felt, I thought that if I crossed the line that I, I was weak. And so I was like, no, I'm just not going to do that. I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm a Christian just because that made me feel weak. I felt like I was giving up on, on myself. And one message that um, Joel had kind of talked about was not relying on ourselves all the time. And I was like, ah, man, I am exactly what I don't want to be. And that is, is arrogant. I can't, I was being arrogant and selfish and thinking that I could get all the answers to everything before, before letting somebody into my life. Very soon after, you know, kind of making this decision and kind of saying that prayer, um, I noticed a really kind of overwhelming peace about things in my life. Just things seemed to make more sense. And even if I didn't understand it, it was okay that I didn't understand these certain things. You know, I wasn't alone and, there, and some, somebody else was in control. And I kind of gave up control of things, which it's not easy for me to do. But it, And so it brought me a lot of peace. And, and that, I have to say, is the most profound thing about this whole experience. I would tell them to have faith. Maybe not in God right now, but have faith in, in these people because this church is, is the only reason I got to where I am. And I would say to not, to not try and fight so hard um, because every Sunday I walked into church and waited for Joel to say something that I was like, ooh, see? They're crazy, they're crazy people. And it never happened. And when I stopped fighting it, it was so much easier for me to get to where I am. But every Sunday I was ready for a fight and you, you can't come in, to, you can't do this ready for a fight. You just have to open yourself up to being loved and, and that's it. And that's so crazy and revolutionary. Nobody ever gets loved just, just for nothing. But here you do, and that wasn't—that um, was not expected. My name is Len Saavedra, and I'm getting baptized today because 514 gave me all the good reasons to believe in Jesus Christ, and He's changed my life. I would not be here. I would not be standing right here if I did not experience Christ the way that you just described. I felt loved by God before I felt like I earned the right to be loved by God. And so you're here today because genuinely, with all of my heart, everyone that's in this room that, that says 514 Church is home, everyone that, that has really met 
Jesus Christ loves you just the way you are. Isn't that right? Right where you are. Regardless of how you respond, regardless of, of what you do, we love you. We just see value in you because we experienced that from God and now we're sharing that with you. And it's changed you and I'm so excited that you're gonna be a part of sharing that love with all the other people that are gonna come here and you've already done that. Um, Len, you love Jesus with all your heart. Yes. You ready to get baptized? I'm sitting in the water. So this might be one of those... This might be one of those, those things you go, now this is a little crazy. Baptism is an outward sign of what's taking place in your heart. It just represents the old life to new life, life change. So Len, go ahead and do that. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes! <laughs> Give this girl a hand. Come on, come on, this is big. Nobody ever gets loved just for nothing, but here you do. She said that. That's right. And that's not 514 Church. That's no person has ever truly loved another person for no other reason than the fact that they're just human except for Jesus Christ. That's it. And in some small way, we have lived that out. When that moment was over, a really special moment happened in the room that I can't duplicate, but I'll tell you about. In the front row, Len's entire family was here. They took up the first three rows, but the back two rows of those three uh, was her small group. And I had them all stand up. Len has been in a small group for a year and a half, two years, and they are the ones who live out this reality. We love you for who you are, not what you do. I mean, they went through this whole journey with her. She would sit in the, in the, in the small group and talk about the fact that she doesn't believe in Jesus and talk about the fact that she, she thinks that we're all crazy people, and, and they all just went, it's okay, it's all right. We love you anyway. Be here, be with us. And that type of acceptance, that type of relationship, that type of engagement is really what changed her. Is really what changed her. And I, and I told the small group, I, I said, you know, without trying to be patronizing, I said, I'm proud of you because you did what I said. You, you, you loved people regardless of what they think and feel. You, you did it. You, you actually did it. My, my goal is to do that over and over and over again at 514 Church. When, with this series, we are tying life change to the source, to, to what really causes what you just saw, what really leads to someone's life being changed. What it really is, is just like Paco Mias, it's my life was changed. Love was given to me. Sacrifice was made to me. So I've changed and now I'm gonna do the same. There's a key passage as it relates to faith in giving and life change. It's Malachi chapter three, verse 10. 
And it says this, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. During this season in the life of Israel, the people were not being fed the way they should be fed. God had told them, take a tenth of all of the produce, the, the actual, like, the, the, the produce, the, the plants, the, whatever they would grow as farmers, and whatever they would, they would uh, have in terms of cattle, all of that, the best. He said, if you give me a tenth of that, then I will bless your community. You will be fed, you will have more than you need, and because you listen to me, life change will happen. And what was happening is the people were going, and they, they were mixing up God's command. So they would go through a season where there wouldn't be enough, and this is a whole other sermon, and they would go, oh, we don't have enough food, so we're not gonna do what God said. And then God's going, that's not the way this works. The way this works is no matter what happens, you do what I say, and then I provide for you through faith. I give to you, not you give to me. But you have to trust me. And so when God says, come on, guys, do you wanna, you wanna eat? You want your community to be fed? You want more people to have more than they, than they need? You've gotta trust me with the first 10%. And from that, so much blessing will happen that you will not be able to store it. And when he uses this metaphor in the second part, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, is literally like a window from heaven that is full of grain that says, I'm gonna open up the window and just whoosh, you are going to be provided for more than you could ever imagine. The floodgates of heaven pour out so much blessing, and the blessing is not just you're going to give some of your food, so I'm going to give you more. It's you will see the principle of God in every aspect of life, and that is this. Follow me. Listen to me as a community, and I will bring life change and blessing that is beyond financial blessing. A lot of pastors get up, and they say this. Come on, guys, you want to have a lot of money. Give 10% and then you'll have a lot of money. I believe this with my whole heart. I believe that all of it, all of giving, all of, 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 of obedience to God is all about one thing, dependence on God. Dependence on God. True dependence on God. He wants his children to trust him. And I believe with all my heart that if you trust God financially, that he will take care of you financially. That's his promise, not mine. I believe that you will be taken care of. I will believe you will have more than you need if you trust him financially. But I think it's way bigger than that. I believe that when you trust God financially, that you pour into God's ability to bless the community around you. Because his ability with our trusted finances is exponentially more than our individual efforts. It's supernatural, it's sovereign, and God says, put it in here and I will bless out there. You can't bless like me, you can't make people's lives change, you can't do it the way I can do it. 
And when they would give, then the priests, the Levites, the the leaders of the community would have more than they need to breathe life, spiritual life, into the community. I believe that that's what this is about. It's a principle. God's way is better than our way. We want life, trust him financially. You want life, trust him in every single way by faith, and you will see life change. Let me bring this home for you. Len's family, her, her fiance, Alex, their parents are, have been some of the most faithful um, members of our church from the very beginning. Barbara Huff. Barbara Huff and Jim Huff have always given to our church. In fact, they've loved God and been obedient to God and given to God years before they came to this church. And you know what? You can look at Barbara's family and Jim's family and their finances and go, uh, they're extremely wealthy, affluent. They've made it all. They do not give to get. They give, listen, to give. Because when they give, we get to be a part of life change. The greatest return on their faithfulness to God financially is now that their daughter-in-law knows Jesus. They didn't give and tithe and, and say we believe in the local church because we wanna make sure that we have the blessing financially. They go, oh, that's just the bottom of it. That's just the beginning. We want life in our community. And it came full circle and hit them right between the eyes. Isn't that amazing? That is why you give. This, this summer, I took Jet, and our, we took our whole family, and I took our little three-year-old Jet, and we were at the Ohio State Fair, yeehaw. And we saw the pig race, and dear Lord, it was weird. Um, but like, the kids were digging it. But we took them, and we walked by this little kitty thing, and Jet is three, and Kellen is five, and we were with some friends, and we took Jet, and there was a little dragon uh, roller coaster. It was a dragon roller coaster. And all the little three-year-olds were getting on it, and I walked Jet up, and I said, Jet, you wanna get on the dragon roller coaster? And he goes, no. He does this thing where he touches his cheek to his, el- his shoulder. No. And I was like, hey, buddy, man, like, like look, at all, look at them all. Like, everyone's having fun. Like, all the little kids were getting on the ride and laughing, and he was like, resistant. And I was just, like, thinking about him in the moment. I was just going like, oh, man, I, I, I want to get him to get on this ride because he's going to have so much fun. It's going to be for him. It's going to be like the great, I don't, I don't need him to get on this ride so that, so that I have a good time. I mean, this was the most boring little roller coaster in creation. It went around once and it went up like two feet. But for the three-year-olds, it was just like a ball. So Kellen, two years older, a little more mature, he gets on. He goes around and he's just having a blast, just laughing and giggling like kids, kids do, getting thrown around on these rickety things that probably have life insur- or insurance problems all over the place. Some guy that I don't know where he came from, he just came out of like the ground to turn it on. I was like, whoa, thing works, okay. So Kellen gets on, he's driving around, and then Jet jumps on. And I watched him, I watched him go from fear to total fun enjoyment. And I got to watch him experience. And I promise you, guys, that that giving 
Giving's not for me. Giving's not for you. When you give, you get to watch your community light up. You get to go on this journey of thrill. I mean thrill. So many different thrills. One of the thrills that you get to go on is when you trust God financially and you start off on that baseline of, man, giving 10% is going to be really tough because of our finances or whatever. You, when you trust him in a new way, you're going to have this thrill moment, and I promise it. It's going to be this moment where you go, we did it. We trusted. We didn't want to get on the ride. We did. And then when we did it, God did this, 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 and this. And I'm going to sit with you, and you're going to cry. And you're going to go, I can't believe, it's amazing how God provided. And I'm going to go, see, God doesn't need your money. You need to experience God. He wants you to trust him for the thrill ride of trusting him. You're also going to have a thrill of the people around you and their lives changing. Just think about this family that's watching Len going from atheist Christ follower. Their storehouse is full. That's it, man. What amount would you give to bring that kind of life change? What if God said, do this and I'll bring the change. Do this and I'll bring the blessing. Do this and it will be a thrill ride. Watch God work Watch him change lives because you're willing. You're willing to follow him. We're not the church of the crowd. We're the church of the one. We're the church of Len. That's what we are today. That story. How many more? How many more stories? In your journal, there's a picture of an empty chair. Go and read that. That empty chair represents the next Len story. We're going to have more empty chairs in a bigger building so that more stories of life change can fill them. Let's stand up together. I want to pray for you guys. And um, I just want to praise God, you know, like thank God for what he does, just this dependence, this whole thrill ride of trusting him. And, and, and Amanda and Kevin and, and, and the, the 514 sound is going to come out and, and they're going to lead us in this song about praising God. And so I just want to take a minute and praise God and thank him for Len and thank him for the future of our church. God, we just come to you right now. We just thank you for what you did in Len's life. We thank you that that you used us to just be a part of that story, that we got to be the Galileans for a day. We got to be those people that say, we love you here. We want to help you any way we can in this time, in this era, a place where where someone could come in and, and say, man, I felt loved. What did that come from? and how Jesus is the answer, and you've been the answer for 2,000 years, and you're still the answer today, and, and you're the only one who loves someone for nothing, and so we get the chance to love someone for nothing and watch them become a follower of you. God, we worship you today. Uh, we, we, we praise you today. Like we, we point all of our adoration, all of our thankfulness to you. We just point it right at you because, God, you gave me the model of loving people where they are. You did it, you walked it out, you taught it. And now I get to be a part of that. Thank you, God, for letting me be a part of that. And I pray that every person in here will say, I wanna be a part of that for the rest of my life. I wanna be a part of life change. I wanna be a part of people getting back on track with God. 
living life the way God designed it, today and forever. God, we praise you this morning because of how you've led us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.